Oh, that's what it was. He was talking about that if you don't have hierarchy, everything is just a power struggle. That's and I think it's in the paragraph right above um, the one with Shakespeare. Yes, it is. I wish I could tell you a page, but I'm on my Kindle. The so Aristotle was thinking mainly of civil society. Is it that one? It is where he goes into the greatest statement of the hierarchical conception. In its double reference to civil and cosmic life is perhaps the speech of Ulysses in Shakespeare's uh, Trulius. Troilus. Troilus. Tro- yeah. Troilus. Yeah, its special importance lies in the clear statement of the alternative to hierarchy. That's what it was. So it's funny. As I was, I was, I, I wasn't feeling the best last night. So most of my reading I did this morning, but I played the audio book last night or the audio version of this on your phone. Have you heard about the two swipe on your, you know how to do this? So Kindle, if you have a regular Kindle, it'll read to you, right? Wait a oh, no, I didn't know this. So the old Kindles actually have the built-in reader where you can play back. It'll read, you know, you have the, if you buy the Kindle, Kindle, not the, um, the Kindle tablets is what I'm thinking of. So the Kindle tablets will read to you. Um, so you have the Kindle okay. tablets and then you have the Kindle books. The Kindle tablets inside the Kindle app, you can actually, it'll just read the book to you. Um, and so I didn't know those existed on the phone. Well, they don't, but your Apple phone has the ability for, I think it's like speak on screen or something like that. Okay. You, you double swipe down with two fingers, you just swipe down with two fingers. And, and it'll, it'll read the, and it'll read the screen to you? Yeah, it'll read the screen to you, whatever Apple, screen you have on there. Apple's brilliant. Yeah. So I love them. Thank you, Apple. Um, and so I was reading this that way um, from my iPad. So you can do it from your iPad or you can do it from your Kindle or, or it was iPad, Kindle app. And they'll just turn the page too. So you just keep reading. They'll turn the page and keep reading for you turn the page. So that's how. And then they got some great voices on there. Hold, I'm, I almost want to. Uh, I almost <laughs> want you to hear just how good the voice is on it. Um, but because uh, you can Siri has the best voices. But that's one of the things that stuck out to me was apart from hierarchy, all you get is Machiavellianism. Yeah, Good. Uh, uh, all all that there is is sheer power if you don't have hierarchy uh, in terms of you know, some nature nature designed to have people above and people or things above and things below. Um, where you can have rightful rule for the sake of the thing ruled or the person ruled or whatever it is. Um, and then you could, and I mean, even saying it out loud feels awkward. Yeah. Right. I know. Which well, is- Cause we're again, I think I've realized this when I was reading the, uh, the Westminster confession of faith, the larger catechism um, on what was it? Um, the fifth commandment. So it goes in the fifth commandment and starts laying out basically hierarchy. Um, mm-hmm. But it says superiors, inferiors, and equals, right? And as soon as I heard superiors, I was like, oh, man, you know, 
who's superior like, and who's who's the inferior all right who and, and i just immediately recoiled against the language because i'm such in such an egalitarian world that having anybody over the top of you sounds horrible right, right? It, what's what's funny is because I, I got this book back when um it's now it's it's back in print so but i got it maybe 10 years ago 15 years ago before it was in print and so it's somebody else's notes and there's literally in that on the side of that passage somebody just underlined it and said oh really question mark question mark, question mark. <laughs> so whoever whoever i bought this book from i got it at a used store it was a uh, they were insulted by saying and it, and it's talking about aristotle right it's saying yeah. aristotle's view is this and then it it gives a um it actually tweaks aristotle he, i mean he he says that aristotle's view is not scriptural here's the actual view of the scriptures right that it's that it's not just a simple superiority to inferiority by nature which is aristotle's argument um that that there is actually um where the person at the top is automatically better and if they're not they should be overthrown so um that's aristotle's view that's aristotle's view there's a natural you know by nature some people should rule others and so there's a, a natural slave class and a natural ruling class. There's right. a, uh, men are by nature superior to women. Therefore men should rule over women, right? That, that it's a, by nature um, that, that the, and that's the equation of the economic view of mankind and the ontological view. So that the nature is the reason, the thing that gives us the right to rule um, rather than, and that, which is not, it's it's hierarchical, but it is not a scriptural view of hierarchy. Mm, I feel that we're running into that right now. Yeah, it's that's becoming. You you have people arguing for it again, right? You've got the things swinging back in the other direction. Um, and yeah, like even guys like Andrew Tate fall right yeah, yeah, into that's that. Exactly, yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Right? Is if I can if I can make more money than you, then I'm better than you. If I can convince some woman to come sleep with me or m- more a bunch of women to come sleep with me, it's because I am m- m- the uh, I am superior, right? Be- because the definition of superior, according to to evolution, is that my seed carries on more than the, the seed of somebody else, right? Yeah. The so the you you're starting to see that argument again because you're not getting you're not just getting a return to christianity without the gospel being preached <laughs> so mm. feminism is a you know and egalitarianism that's a uh, is a move away from the gospel but so is chauvinism <laughs> um so okay i'm trying to i i really didn't know where to this this is so um there's so much here. I really didn't know how to drop into this. I, is there anything that you wanted to bring out first? Because I just this since we're here, I kind of wanted to read this part that really captured me, and kind of work from there. But it seems like Jason. So the more I read this book, I'm almost done with it. But the more I read this from from Lewis, the more I realize, oh my goodness, we do not know how to read poetry. Like I keep saying that, but 
when he says, okay, you got Paradise Lost and you need a preface to it to read it, he's teaching you the foundations of language and literature and poetry. And there's six more books for that he goes through in here that I realize I need to read that I haven't read, <laughs> right? Yeah. All, all the homework writings, right? I'm realizing like, oh man, I would have never. So then when you pick up somebody like Paradise Lost, Milton's in conversation with folks that you don't even know exist yet. If you haven't read some yeah. of these other art, uh, authors, right? If you haven't read Iliad, if you haven't read Homer's stuff, if you have, you know, um, we, yeah, what, what Milton does. And if you, if you're willing to put in the time, there's an entire classical education in paradise lost. Right. Um, because what he does is he takes the classical world, the literature of the classical world, he takes the church fathers, the theology of the church fathers. He takes the the scriptures, the stories and laws and um, and uh, poetry of the scriptures, and he weaves it together with the English history of poetry, right? And wow. so he takes these four strands and he just begins, you know, weaving them all until you get really, I think, the greatest English epic. Um, that there ever was although i mean i i think you know, beowulf gives it gives it a run for its money um but beowulf is simpler right beowulf is um an epic just in the english tradition milton takes that english tradition and weaves it together with the greco-roman tradition the Hebraic tradition of the scriptures and the theology and the, then the theologians of the church fathers, because he is, I mean, by the time he's finished with, he's literally read every book in print in England. I mean, he's, it's quite, he was quite a fellow. Really? <laughs> and he was also blind, which, um, you know, Homer was blind. Ugh. And so I think you God know- had a, a, um, a, his story is is incredible. Um, he he has one a a great sonnet that he wrote as he went blind. Um, he was losing his eyesight, and he thought he was going to spend his days as a uh, in politics because he wanted to do something important. He wanted to restore. Uh, I remember you telling the, me about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wanted to restore um, uh, political freedom. The, the freedoms of an Englishman, and he wanted to restore uh, the the education of a free man to the English people. Right, so they were li- liberal education, liberal arts education was waning, and he wanted to restore it. And he wa- and because he, he wanted freedom for his the English people, and then he went blind, and he couldn't do it. He didn't get to finish his task, and he writes this incredible sonnet called um, on 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 my blindness or on his blindness, I think, because it was just, it was just a numbered sonnet, but it's, it's the best of his sonnets in my opinion. He, and saying, Lord, I don't get it. What am I doing here? I, I had a plan. I thought it was from you. I was trying to use my gifts to serve you. And then you took away my eyesight and I can't do it anymore. And here I am just stuck at a library reading all day writing poetry useless he says but those who uh those who travel across the seas for their king 
are serving just as most as as much as those who are standing and wait when they've been told to wait. So here I am. Mm. And then he writes the most influential poem in the English language <laughs> that that literally people all around the world, the the poets of the rest of the world in every language, if they want to study English poetry, they go to Milton. If they want to study, um, there's translations of it. So it it as because it's just a poem, you know, quote unquote, just a poem. It's made it to all sorts of corners of the world where the Bible isn't allowed um, throughout history. So it's um, similar to Bach, where you you can go to the center of communist China and some place where the Bible's not allowed and they're teaching Bach to the kids. Mm. Um, and then they say, Oh, look at this. What's, what's with the, I remember talking to a, um, a, a woman at the university who came over to study music and she couldn't wait to go to church because she thought she would hear Bach. <laughs> wow. And then she walked in she was like, Hmm, this isn't what I expected. You know, in China, we thought the Christian music was Bach, and I couldn't wait to go hear it in its in its uh, <laughs> context, and yet, and nobody's singing it. So, when you um, I don't want to change too much, but when you think about, um, do you think that actually has an effect on the society? So I can hear a lot of my Christian friends saying, "That's great." Uh, that you guys are playing Bach, but you're not, there's no gospel there. So it's not, you know, what's the effect of having good literature there that might be in, in joyful, but with no gospel? It doesn't have any effect on well, society, really, does it? I mean, I th- a couple of things. One, if they listen to their music and then they listen to church music and they say, oh man, the church music is that's the greatest stuff ever made, then even if it's not them, that will change their children's relationship to the, or expectations or relationship to the church. Right. So um, when you get the, when it's objectively true that the greatest music in the history of the world was produced by Christians to be sung in church. Right. Um, that you you don't find I've talked with atheists about this and sometimes they'll say they have to either say well there's no objective beauty beauty's not objective right but a lot of them they'll say well, yeah that that's true but if it weren't for christianity you would have gotten it a different way right it's it was the, still going to come one way or the other evol- yeah. it's yeah because it's the natural evolution of music that's happening right that is just there's that's an argument that that artistic development is guided by something else right right but it's obvious that it has to be guided to produce something that beautiful so you've got that combined with um the the fact that you know so if somebody somebody that experiences that great music um you it does make them less likely to to be able to make sense of say persecution right um mm. it, and their children are we, we we've got to think generationally as well um there's if you're raised so it would, um my wife and I when we were first married we did uh 
evangelistic work in the the town that has the highest um, alcoholism and child abuse rate west of the Mississippi. Mm. So um, about 900 people, there's 11 bars, um, and <laughs> literally every kid, every kid was uh, abused that we minister to. The there were bike racks on the bars because so many driver's licenses had been permanently revoked. Mm. I, I'd never been any place like it. We would um, do be doing our evangelism, you know, just pizza after high school um, and do Bible study. And we'd have people come and we would just had a huge stack of Bibles, send them home. We had one guy came back, brought us, brought the Bible back and said, when I, but before I even got to my house, my grandmother came out screaming, what's in your bag? What's in your bag? What's in your bag? She made me take it out, leave it outside and couldn't bring it in. So obviously grandma was possessed yeah. by demons. Yeah. Um, she could sense the Bible coming and was told that she would be tortured if she let that into the house. So he brought it back and, um, and, he wanted to leave it. And we said, well, let's just pray instead. Father in heaven, we pray that this Bible is not uh, able to be sensed by the demons and he can keep it. And then he just kept it in his bag. And You have some of the so, weirdest stories I've ever heard. I know. Just weird stories. Um, but he, he, so the, uh, but what's so interesting is, um, is that when you're ministering in a place like that, you have to think generationally, mm. right? You, there is no, there is no way to just pull the plug on that. Right. You, um, and so that church, the most effective evangelist in that church was the local cocaine dealer who had gotten it into his head somewhere that the lo- that the Presbyterian pastor gave really good marriage advice. And so when people buying cocaine from him, confessed their marriage problems he would say hey go up to the presbyterian church they do free marriage counseling there and the pastor's really good (laughs) here goes the cocaine the pastor never had met the cocaine dealer or anything but he was the local coke dealer he would just send people so the pastor would they come these people would walk in they'd say hey so-and-so sent us he's like so first off i know you're on coke right because your Coke dealer sent you. That's how bad your marriage has gotten. Your Coke dealer even is worried about you. And so he's sending you to the Presbyterian church. Right. So, um, the, and so we, we had multiple deacons. Um, a lot of our mi- music team from that church, that's how they had come to the Lord is the Coke dealers was got so worried about them that he sent them to church. Right. So, um, and, and the parents were all, abused as kids they weren't Mm. good parents they weren't abusive parents though right that was the difference they didn't they didn't have you know they they weren't super consistent they didn't have uh they they were they would pray with their kids and they wouldn't beat their kids and everybody said oh my gosh that what a community Mm. i've never seen anything like that Right, look the way that those kids are not beat. <laughs> so, so you're thinking generationally, or you give up, 
and you leave right so mm. um just just your your the the goal is that the kids that grow up here have a safe place to grow up and we'll educate them in the scriptures um you know mom and dad come to the lord late doing their best but it, it's sanctification is a slow process, but it's a generational process. So, um, I mean, I think that's always, that's, that's always, that is, that's good news. And often as, as parents, it's hard, good news to hear to say, well, our goal is to just keep growing. So just it- keep, just keep clean in the house. I mean, metaphorically speaking, yeah, yeah, yeah. By picking up whatever you find in front of you, and over the course of my life, my, I, I, I don't have to get it all together right now, because I, I can't. It's not going to work that way. But if I'm growing, then my kids will grow along with me, and then they'll outgrow me, and that's the goal. And then their kids, they they raise kids while they continue to grow, and their kids outgrow them. There's there's not a, um, we don't have a werewolf problem, so there's not a silver bullet. You you have to just dig in and grow uh, through history I, I think you've said that before and i didn't write it down now. i'm gonna write it down now we don't have a werewolf <laughs> problem so there's no silver bullet but i think everybody keeps wanting a silver bullet but okay so then make this tie into make this tie into though the connection between that and a nation getting something that's not the gospel but it has the beauty of tradition of of kind of the culture that then transfer yeah is it transformable without the gospel well, how's that work I think though the so the gospel is what brings the transformation but what we don't you know the but the the way in to to the new Jerusalem is 12 per- pearls facing every direction that have been carved into gates we don't we we like to think the gate we came through is the only gate in but there's a, the the way the way to f- discover the good news um, is is out of our control, right? So our job is to just beautify it as best we can, um, love it as best we can, and when we come across, so like this this woman that the reason that she wanted to get to college in America was because growing up um, studying Bach. She, one of the things that she learned along the way was that he wrote Sola Dea Gloria on the bottom of each, of the bottom of each manuscript um, when he finished it. Right, this is for the glory of God. Mm. Um, uh, and and uh, she said, "Well, I I want to meet this God. I gotta I gotta make it to America, um, because if because a God that can inspire this is a God." that I would like to encounter. Now, she doesn't have a totalizing understanding of God yet because she's got an understanding, a, a Taoist understanding of the gods, but there's this one over there that, that I need to meet, right? That the, the, the God over there that speaks English. Now <laughs> that what's so interesting about that is, um, you know, box German, but, he's known through the English education um, because of the, because it, we believe in the Holy Catholic church, right? The small C universal church. 
um, and so she gets here and the first Sunday goes and to the, to the closest church she can. So the, there is, um, and then, you know, one of the things that ha- you know, uh, one of the things that, uh, happens is, um, throughout history, you know, a good example of this, I think is St. Patrick is the reason we even know St. Patrick is, uh, because he was captured while fishing and made into a slave. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he he tells us I would have just gone along. He was a Christian. He was raised in a Christian home, and he's like, "But I was just kind of a mediocre Christian. Nothing had ever put pressure on my faith. Being dragged off as a slave put the kind of pressure on my faith. Put the kind of pressure on his faith that turned it into um, an incredibly powerful faith. So he's dragged to um, um, to the Irish." He's enslaved by them. He escapes, makes it back, and he says, "Where I need a seminary education so I can get back to those people with the gospel. <laughs> and so he, he digs in. He gets himself the education that he needs, the theological education that he needs. Um, and then he and a couple of other men get back on a boat, head back, and bring the gospel to them. Um, the way that God decides to bring the gospel to a people isn't up to us we just know that it's going to be that it's going to happen right that that he's he's going to bring it to every people and whatever doorway is the one that the spirit kicks open is the doorway we walk through so you know as you were talking you're speaking earlier about um the beauty and the attraction because of the beauty um and all i could think about was when god gave israel the law um one of the things that was going to be done was he said, hey, they would look at the law, look at how ordered you are yeah. and say, what kind of God is it that would give this nation such great laws? Right. And that in right. itself was an attraction to like this is ordered. People get along. There's justice here. There's love here. What is going on in this relationship that's happening? Um, what kind of God is well, that? I, yeah. Th- think of the way the church is growing is uh, growing so much in India right now, right? That's because of the English people bringing them English common law. Mm. Right? The, David now, Fowler just lost his mind right now. Pro- like, <laughs> David Fowler's like, yes, talk about it. The, I'm in love. Were there, were, there pro- were there problems with it? Sure. The way they did it? Yeah. And they did it, but they did it better in India than they did amongst the Congolese, for example. That was a disaster. Um, but the in in England they really thought or they, they understood that part of the, the reason that God had given them the British empire was so that they could bring the light of the gospel. And they did it more effectively in some places, less effectively in other places. Um, you know, you look at the American colonies, some the, the relationship between the colonies and the different tribes of uh, the different colonies and different tribes of, of the uh, natives that were different and some were good, some were bad, but, but the understanding was there that part of what you are supposed to do is bring the light of the gospel with you. And some of that means bringing order. If there's, if, if a, a, an area, let's say a village is requiring that a woman kill herself because her husband died. 
the law should step in and defend that woman. You, you must not actually kill yourself. That's not, you're not allowed. You don't get to murder yourself. That's against the law. Um, the, the, and the, the pressure that the village is putting on you to do that is wrong and it needs to be stopped. Those sorts of, or, or um, the, the, uh, coming to South America and finding the, the, um, it was a Cortez. Um, he found the empire. I think it was the Aztecs, but I, I'm not positive. Um, he found that, that they were raising people for, for human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. They were literally raising slaves for human sacrifice and he stopped it. He, went in with swords. He went up to the top. He cut the idol in half um, that was requiring the sacrifices. He actually rolled the idol into the pile um, where they would throw the dead bodies after they would pull the heart out. He, he cut the idol in half, threw it down there and said, uh, uh, your creator has sent his son to die for you. So you, he no longer requires any sons from you. Right? No more no more human sacrifice that's good news to the slaves now it's bad news to the tyrants <laughs> but that's good news to the slaves right um because all of a sudden they're freed from a certain fate of certain death so the the law coming in is is good news when it's just biblical okay so righteous law so if you had to if you were was that cortez Cortez, yeah. There's a great book called Cortez Conqueror uh, for don't, Christ. Don't you do it. Don't you give me no other books. Don't you even do it. <laughs> I won't. I won't oh. tell you about it, though. Oh, you about it. <laughs> oh Jason. All right. Cortez Conqueror for Christ. I'm going to go get it. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a biography. I, I, when I was um, in elementary school, I wanted to be an explorer. And then. Reap a cheat. I got yeah reaper cheap was my hero right so um and then somewhere along the way somebody said oh we already finished that everything's been explored right right and i was super bummed (laughs) and um and i look back now and i thought man somebody's flat imagination just crushed yeah my kid my little boy imagination yeah and uh and so um but the it's, it that's one of the reasons I think I got really into fantasy was because then you could actually have stories about explorers. So like I read a ton on Columbus. I was a big Columbus nerd and every year when Columbus day comes around, I'm ready to celebrate because the man was wonderful. Racist. Um, and he, was, he wasn't <laughs> perfect, but he was a wonderful man. And he, he was very protective of the natives. Um, he, he, the, and he begged, uh, he begged the crown to send people to protect them. He said, "They, we are so far technologically advanced over them that wow. they are going to be taken advantage of. Don't send somebody that is in that their entire job is to protect these people." And he was right, right? They got taken advantage of because of the technological inferiority. He said, it's our Christian duty to protect these people until they have caught up to us technologically, until we can 
bring them along and and bring them into society and and uh it didn't happen but that was columbus that was saying that so the fact that he gets accused of what he gets accused of you know it's just it's just it's because there's a play on him so let's say that you're cortez right now you had to come over to america and you were like okay here's the idol that i got to get to chop down well what is that gonna what would that be like if you had to strategically you're like what's the idol you get to chop down i mean if if you were to go, I, I, I mean, I mean, you've got that the the bull on Wall Street. That might be a good, like I, 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 do, <laughs> I think we've got a, I think we've got a couple. But I think one of them is we think that we are safe because we're wealthy. Mm. Um, and so I think we we trust in our wealth as a nation a lot. Um, you know, I always used, I like to, I, I don't listen to NPR much anymore, but I used to have a drive, um, who, a rural, a, I worked in a, out in the rural area and the only radio station you could get was NPR. And, uh, so I would listen to that show, all things considered on the way. Yeah. And all they ever talk about is politics and economics. And they're like, all things considered politics and economics. And that's the sum of all things in that uh, in that particular view of the world, and whether you're on the left or on the right, I do think that we trust in wealth um, rather than in we we trust in our money a lot. So I I think that would be you know there's a giant golden calf on the end of at the end of Wall Street that might be worth cutting down. Um. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. It was, so it's, it's, I think that yeah. Well, I know because an idol is anything we trust in for for provision protection and identity um uh so provision protection identity huh i think you're right i wouldn't have that wouldn't have been the thing i was i was trying to figure out what i would go after um i was trying to figure out where is the the most amount of egalitarian like where do you find it at the most yeah um but i i mean i I, I that that's a harder one because I think that's an individual identity spot, and where do you go? With, that that's it's self worship more than it than you know. So we we turn ourselves into idols, um, our self actualization, self. But I think self, you I think you hit it at the uh, money though. identification. I think you when you go to that bull, all of a sudden, um. You know, my, my wife always says, "Yeah, we could we could use a good depression because man, all the trans folks would go away in an instant if we were poorer." <laughs> Your wife might be that's, right about that because my because right we grew it. It's that that's what that's what being you know you're uh, right about wealthy that. without Christ looks like. Yeah, this is I always say is like I guess <laughs> I say I guess black folks doing all right. Because right. yeah. anytime I start seeing us having what I call white folks problems, really the problems with people with money, people who got money, I'm like, oh, yeah. whenever you got those kind of problems, and I start seeing with black folks in depression, it's like we depress. When? Like you must be yeah. doing pretty good. Like, depression's a rich person problem. Yeah, you you get to go yeah. to a doctor and talk to them. And it's like I need to have make sure my mental space. Great grandma and them didn't talk about stuff like that. They just too busy working. Yeah, well, be and it's because when you have money you expect to to find that there's a spot in the world for you and then when you discover that the 
dislodgement from the world that comes with having money but no Jesus, uh, you, you that that experience is called depression. I should fit someplace and I don't feel like I do. And why doesn't everybody know that I should fit the place? Why doesn't it? It does it. Yeah. How, how do I work through that? And, and, you know, until you hire a professional friend to talk to because society is broken down so much. Normally you just go talk to a guy while you shop pool, but we don't know how to be friends anymore. Uh, we have our society is broken down to the point that you can't just go talk to somebody and say, man, I'm sad sometimes for no reason. And the other dudes like, have you tried lifting weights? Have you tried like calling me and we can go get a beer and watch some basketball? Like there's ways to deal with that. <laughs> right. We don't have friends anymore. So we have to hire a professional friend called a counselor. Man, Do you, okay. So, uh, does when you have um, that's interesting because I think that this plays into the conversation with hierarchy. Um, when you have a hierarchy, there is a, a format in which you go about doing things. Like, so for instance, I was watching "It's a Wonderful Life" for Christmas. I think I talked about it a lot, but there, um, they, one of the things they hinted at in the film was there's a problem. You go ask Dad; he would know. Right. Uh, There was a system by which that you went to when you were having problems or issue with things. And on that. So, you know, on that, um, I don't know how to call it scale or on that degree of levels. Maybe degree is the right way. You had a a checkpoint to deal with the issues that were there. Right. Um, And even even at the end. Well, for instance, the store scene, the uh, the bank scene where they have the run on the banks. Right. Right. one of the things that he gets them to remember is that there is a hierarchy of economics here that if you move it in such a way, the way that the guy who has all the money wants you to move it, it will collapse and foreclose. So he says, hey, um, we want our money is what everybody's asking for in the bank. And he's like, well, hold on a second. Your money is in her house and your and your other money is over there in his business. Remember, you invested in that and it is in that person's house. And if you take your money, you're going to you're going to foreclose on their houses. Right. And, and so right. while there's a hierarchy, there's also a unity of support yeah, that's a, there. Yeah, there's a community. There's a community. Um, yeah. Yeah, the the hierarchy hierarchy is a personal is personal. Um, right. It's, oh, that's good. It's not it's not a bureaucracy. We don't. Yeah. So that's, egalitarianism produces bureaucracy, and that's what we think is a hierarchy because it actually has levels in the bureaucracy, and we think well because right. you're higher up in the bureaucracy, you must be a it's hierarchy. But that's actually Aristotle's yeah. position, though, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's. It is well. He his his position is that there that by nature you've got superior people and inferior people, and that the when the inferior people are on the top, then society collapses. You've got to have the superior people on the top and the inferior people on the bottom. It sounds like politics um, right now. It, it, I I do think we're closer to Aristotle than we would want to admit. Right that that it's that there actually isn't um, a, a real view of the equality of all people. Right. Uh, I mean, and, and just in the, the, just to jump in real quick, 
So right now it's if you don't have somebody who looks like you and talks like you and has been where you've been culturally. What's her name? Ayanna Presley said, we don't need black uh, faces that don't have black voices. And we don't need. Uh, oh, yeah. We don't need black faces who don't speak for. Um, we don't need black voices who don't speak for black faces or something like that. It was something I gotta go find yep. it now. But what she's basically saying is if you're black and you don't speak for black people, then you shouldn't be in the position where you can talk for for us. As if I have to be exactly identical to everything you are in order to be able to speak rightly for you, which is kind of the same. So if I'm not in a position of power, right, then and I don't have somebody like me in a position of power that I actually can't be treated justly, right? Because there isn't, there isn't a unity there's an a human unity right right it's a i it's a marked identity from my skin color my cultural background and um my shared experience with these people so if i don't have that then i can't speak for this group of people yeah well do you think that the that the assumption is that communication is not communication across cultural boundaries is just not possible. Like, can I not understand the experience of somebody that I didn't, it it didn't have the same experience as me. Uh, Correct. I think that's part of it. Yeah. But I think it's also trying to say is you, you might be able in some sense to see, but you won't be able to really identify with, right? Like, so, um, so yeah, I that think is, that's part of it, but I think this, that isn't, go ahead. I mean, that's, that just goes against all the history of human experience. <laughs> I mean, the, at least against the history of the literary conversation of mankind that's what it was i was making sure i was finding right so yeah black we don't need any more black faces that don't want to be a black voice what so can you is it possible for a black person to not be a black voice i mean is that is she saying according to her only only certain kinds of black people count as black people right or is she? Or is she saying you're pretending to be something else? You're a black person inside, but on the face of it, you're pretending to be something else. I think it's the other way around. You're, the you're, other way around. Yeah, you're a black face, but don't have a black culture, right? So, um, I think it gets to. I think it, I think it does get to Aristotle's position, closer to his position, which is, yeah, um, in order for Um, I have to have a representative identical to me in every way, right? In order for there to be true yeah. justice and representation in positions of power, right? So, so that we don't get ruled over by people who don't understand where we've come from, right? Or the experiences that we have. And so if we're not represented, then then we don't 
get justice. We don't get a part of the pie. We, we get ruled out of the equation. Well, there's, and there's a couple of assumptions in there. One is that it's the limited pie problem. Yeah. Right. So there's part of that. Um, But I think the other thing is that it is that somebody's going to oppress somebody. That's just, that's just reality. There is no way um, for there to not, if there's any sort of hierarchy, then it's automatically oppression. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And everybody functions like that. That's why people are like, want Trump. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, I think you're right. I, I think there's a, but I also think there's a, um, you know, I've been, there's things I love about Chappelle as an, as an artist, but you know, I've been listening to his podcast some and, and one of the things that he brings up is that, um, basically he, he, I think he would fall into the, um, black supremacist. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Camp of, you know, I don't, I don't know. There's not a term for it. I was trying to think of a term for it. Um, but just that black nationalism, maybe. Yeah, but it's not really nationalism. He's probably he's probably is a black nationalist. But but I'm thinking more in terms of like, like anthropologically. He will oh, right. say, well, but black people would never do that. That's a white people thing. Um, black people don't. Uh, what he said something along the lines of, well, black people don't. Um, you know it was even like a real, like real black people because <laughs> you have to separate at that. Point. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, and, and it, you know, because of the melanin, they don't have suffer from, I can't remember which, which vice it was. Oh um, yeah. I've heard stuff. It, like it, that. You hear stuff like that and you think that's not true. Right. Uh, not, people are people. <laughs> yeah. People suffer from vices. People say, so, there right. There, there's not a, there's not a um, physical di- differentiator that can you can say, well, these people don't suffer from this temptation because of that or this. You know, um, but I will say though, there are some things that some suffer from different than others, right? So, oh yeah, but there are there are you know ways you were raised. There are um, yeah, Cretans, right? Being be yeah, being in certain neighborhoods versus other neighborhoods, you're going to have different expectations but that's because of the way that the the way um you know the way our imaginations are formed um tolkien talks about the the influence that uh landscape has on language because he spoke like 19 languages and um he talks about how the the you know this language um that was the same had the same as it was the same as this language till these people moved to the ocean instead of the mountains. And then the mountains affected caused their language to take on this shape. And then when they went down and they started getting in boats and going out to the ocean, the language changed because of the influence that the landscape has on the imagination of the speaker. Right. So, and it's that way with everything, right? So, kids but i've got you know the, the guys that grew up in my neighborhood that i we used to hang out and you know go out 
to the woods together and build forts and we, whenever we get together there's an immediate camaraderie because of our neighborhood um it and it's not a it's it's a our our imagination was formed by the same streets experiences sleepovers midnight games of kick the can that um and it's immediate it, it takes about a second and a half to be back into camaraderie mode with any of those guys. Did you say midnight games of kick the can kick the can? Yeah. We, we said that was, I mean, that was the, one of the big games we played here. Um, all the kids in the neighborhood, like in the summers, because we're in a, a neighborhood, there aren't really, I mean, I don't, at least in Spokane, we don't have this anymore, but the houses that go up with unfinished basements, and they're partially done so that a young family can get a house and then work on the house and improve their lot. I was born into one of those neighborhoods. So every family was a young family with an unfinished basement. And um, it's you, cause you can move in and then you finish the basement over the course of raising your kids. And then you can sell that house cause it's worth more. Or um, So we used to go out in the mornings on the, in the summer and sit on the curb until we had enough people to go do something. And we'd go out, we'd go out and gather up a bucket full of frogs um, we were in the suburbs, but that we're close enough to the woods that there was creeks and streams and ponds and, uh, or we'd go get tools and we'd go out to the woods and we would hammer together wood until we had a little house or, you know, we went one summer, we spent the entire summer digging a giant hole in the, I, I still don't really understand why, but I mean, for hours we would just dig. <laughs> right. And the, um, and then it, when the sun would go down, we'd have to come back to the neighborhood. But then all the parents would be sitting out there, you know, drinking beer and and chatting and and having fun. And we would play kick the can until you literally just collapsed. Um, it was it was an amazing neighborhood to grow up in. All of those people, when I run into them, we have immediate camaraderie right. because we have the same ideal imaginatively. We want to give this that to our kids, and it's hard now. There's, you don't have the same sort of neighborhoods, um, at least here in Spokane. You don't have the same sort of safe neighborhoods. Like we, the our dads used to just park cars blocking the ends of the road so that no cars would come down it, so that the kids could play safely. Um, I don't think you're allowed to do that anymore. Nah. We're just like, we'll just put, put two cars at the end of each road. And then you've got a safe road for the kids to play, kick the can in the middle of the night. And that was, that's what summer nights were like. Um, I shouldn't ask this question, but I just have to know. And you can just quit. How do you win at kick the can? <laughs> By kicking the can. The one that kicks got the can it. wins. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Got it. You, you know, I played the kick the can. Nah, up. Man, we had balls, bro. <laughs> we kicked the ball you put you had a so there was a big coffee can our neighbor had this big coffee can we'd put and, and maybe this isn't a real game i don't know maybe somebody <laughs> just made it up one of our parents parents was like get out of our hair i'm gonna teach you a game uh it's called kick this can and so we put the, the our neighbor would put a big can in the middle of the street they would and then um two people were it and they had to guard the can and if you got tagged then you went to jail and um 
you were all trying to kick the can. And so whoever got to kick the can got to be it next. Okay. I don't know. Maybe that was a made up game just in our neighborhood. It was super fun. Yeah. Sounds you, got interesting. 20, 20 elementary school kids. Um, you know, <laughs> okay. I'm, I, it's, okay. We, anyway, you were saying, we, we also played, you know, um, we played, played a lot of street hockey. We played a lot of, yeah. Of, uh, um, we played basketball. We played stickball. We, you know, baseball, all sorts of other stuff too. Kickball. We actually played a lot of kickball, but but the whole the whole point being that has the way we're raised has a really powerful influence on our imagination, and that that's really I think the difference when we when we say culture, what we're really talking about is just the imaginative categories that we interpret the world through. Yeah, yeah, uh, and so. I mean, I don't know. So I, the reason I brought that up is because I just think that the well, with, we were talking about with hierarchy, the way that this kind of plays into just going back to what got us here. Um, I can't remember. I brought up Ayanna Presley because of the fact of uh, I think that there's this power struggle for position in this bureaucracy that has a fake hierarchy. And I think it lends itself to um, what Aristotle was talking about at least in the part of the book that right before yeah. this, that there is this, some people must be ruled over. I think everybody believes kind of have, has believes Aristotle in view of this, but, yeah. and so what they're fighting for is, well, if that's the way things are set up in this bureaucracy, um, what would you call it? A bureau, a bureaucratic, um, Bureaucratic, no, yeah, bureaucratic Gnosticism, I think. Oh, is what it is. okay. Then, I, then, so, th- then you can't rule over me because you don't have the knowledge to understand what yeah. it is we know about us. So then, I have to be able to rule, so or somebody from us has to be able to rule over us. Yeah. So it's still because the same thing. because they've got they they've got the the knowledge of what it's like to be me. That's exactly. And so and you know so what they they are not. Um. So they're not better than me the way you think you are. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yes. Which completely, it's so egalitarian. It's, it's ridiculous. So I want to get, so you were saying something about that, but that's why I think our politics really is closer to an Aristotle perspective of this because it's yeah. all power. And so Lewis I just want to read this line. Lewis says, if you take degree away, each thing meets in mere uh, uh, pugency. That's what I was looking for last time. In mere pugency, which is like fight, right? Strength fighting yeah. against each other. Yeah. Um, strength will, do you want the place? Them? Yeah. Okay. I was just- it was right after. So the paragraph where he says, Aristotle was thinking mainly of civil society. Okay, got that it. Paragraph after that paragraph, the, the paragraph below it is where I um, halfway through that. Okay, got it. Okay, um, if you take degree away, each thing meets in mere appugency. Strength will be the Lord. Everything will include itself in power. That right there was like, ooh, that's exactly where we're at. In other words, the modern idea that we can choose between hierarchy and equality is for Shakespeare, Ulysses, mere moonshine. The real alternative is tyranny. If you will not have oppor- if you do not have authority, you will find yourself obeying brute force. Yeah. 
right? And that's where it's like, I all of our systems are. Like we have. Can you think of a system right now outside of even our marriages are almost that way, becoming more and more so. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, which is why I think we have so much divorce. Um. Because when you remove hierarchy and, and just maybe the, maybe to find hierarchy, but what, what would be your, because I don't think he actually goes through and defines hierarchy so much. Well, he does. It's later in here. Um, but he says the order of love, the order of things, the, the natural, well, was it, what did he say? The created order of things or the natural order of things? Um, well, no, it's, it's the, so the nat. So instead of ordered according to nature, it's ordered according to um, authority, right? So you can have equals, um, but one of them has equals in nature, but one of them has authority over the other by the voluntary submission of one to the other, right? So hierarchy is a, is um, where is, I mean, the way that he's using it here, it's a matter of voluntary submission to rightful authority by equals. Right. So instead of it being by nature, one is above the other, you have um, the... Uh, you know, So... Uh, I think if we just got to get more specific. So in a marriage, um, you have the, um, a, a woman submitting to her husband, or a wife submitting to her husband, um, is what creates the hierarchy. It's not that men by nature are superior to women. It's an economic distinction, um, in which the, the, um, obedience is a gift, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so the covenant agreement is based off of her is is um, united by her saying, "I will choose to submit to you." Yeah. And him. And so it, it it so the the hierarchy is created by vows, not created by nature. Interesting. Right. right. Okay. So um, it's the it's the same in a civil magistrate with. Uh, in a Christian understanding, ah, right, right. right. The the hierarchy is created by vows, by covenant, right? That's I mean, we still do this, right? The the well, we have we don't well we still do this, but we still think that the person who is in a badge is somehow greater than the other person who's not. I I do think what well, so we 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 live. I think we are living in a transition. So you've got it. You've got a mix, right? So you do have um, that, you know, that um, you've got a, there's a funny sequence in the movie Wayne's world um, where they, these, this group of, you know, 20 year old, uh, white guys that literally are like living in their parents' basement. They pull up to a restaurant and there's a police officer there and they start cracking jokes about, oh, I smell bacon. Does anybody smell bacon? And and then the cop gets it 
And he's like, oh, okay, funny, very funny guys, right? That there's like this, um, but they're making fun of the fact that these guys are, are, are like tough on authority, but they all live in the basement of their parents' house still, right? It's like a, a funny juxtaposition where they, they, you can't see the irony. They can't see the irony of it. Um, and that's kind of the running gag um, throughout the whole movie is um, that that they're like down with the man while living in their parents' basement and like being supported by their parents. They're like down with the man out in society. It's very funny. But that down with the man attitude, I think, is um, that a lot of kids are now just raised with a view of authority that they think they're better than me by putting on a badge. They, they, society is saying they're better, better than me by giving them authority. I've got to get the power back for myself. Right. So, um, the, and so there's different ways that we do that or, or whatever. And then I do think that there are areas where the cops act like that too. Yeah. Right. That the police, the police act like, well, look, I'm in charge here. I can do whatever I want. Um, and the, it's, it's ugly but you know, you, you know, L.A. in the '90s was infamous for that. New Orleans police, uh, Minnesota police have been. There's been places where you've got this, these infamous um, police police forces that act like that. You know, so um, so there's it's it's a problem that goes both directions versus. But the, but the reality is they take a vow. You know, the sheriff takes a vow. The president takes a vow. In fact, what, it was just a couple presidents, just a couple of installations ago, it was, um, I think it was Obama's first term, where they had to go back and redo the vow because right. they had misspoke spoke during it. I think Obama actually was it corrected the judge uh, what he was actually supposed to say live on the spot. Yeah, but they had to start over. Yeah, because I, it's a because it's a the because it's a legal vow yeah. that has to be done properly. properly yeah. I mean, yeah. So uh, because he is because it's the vow that makes him president, mm. right? It's the vow combined with the election of the the electors, right? The, the electoral college. So we our vote doesn't make a president. The that's not how it works legally. The electoral college and the vow working together make him the president. Similar to it in marriage, the pledge, the vow, and the consummation make a, a, a family. So then just let me think through this a little bit. As you're saying, I see the um, hierarchy set up there, but then the, the way that the you said that hierarchy, it, um, it is, well, I wrote it down. A hierarchy is a, is the uh, creation of vows, right? Um, not it's created by vows, created yeah. by vows, not by nature, right? So Correct. then, so then, it but isn't it in the woman's nature to be submissive to her husband? I don't think you've met very many women. <laughs> well, isn't that isn't that part of the curse though? And then part of the curse is that she fights that, but it's still there. Oh. I, I see what you're saying. So is it, 
is it the, I mean, her the whole proper crea- order? Yeah, I mean, that's what she yeah, was yeah. designed for, right? right? I mean, I see what you're, yeah, uh, the uh, the the proper order um, that brings out the the greatest aspects uh, of our nature is uh, um, a husband. Uh, a husband as a covenant head and a wife as a covenant subject acting together in their roles, both imitating God, um, you know, as the image of God, imitating God within their particular sphere, they, each of them becomes more and more who they were created to be that way. Right. Um, but Lewis makes the point, um, well, he, he makes, he makes the point in, um, the great divorce that if we run, if we were to run into a woman who had, who lived her life that way, dies and is, and finds herself in her glorified body, even, even, um, imperfectly, we would all bow down as if she were a goddess, right? Mm-hmm. Because our, we, our experience um, is so marred by sin in this life that 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 the um, that the glory that men and women were both intended to bear the the weight of it is such that um, if we were to run into somebody that was actually doing it, we would all want to bow down to them. We would be tempted to worship. Mm. Um, uh, and but and but the, the women in particular are glory bearers right men just, are not yeah. men men are told to not hold on to glory but to give it right mm. and um and they're given a wife so that by his by the rule and reign of a husband a wife should receive glory and honor and be lifted up right become who she's intended to be um and when you when you actually i mean we, we my wife and i have seen this a lot um throughout our lives is when people you know they know my theology and they know you know that i like oh he's really into headship which is true i'm i'm always trying to be better at it so i am studying it regularly i want to be a good covenant head like it's doesn't come naturally and so i'm into it and then people meet my wife and they're like that's not what I expected. Right. Yeah. She's, she's so confident. She, I mean, you could put her up against most pastors in terms of Bible knowledge, theology, knowledge, confidence in what the scriptures teach. Right. right. And, um, and I've, and I've, I've seen it where she's has no problem. You know, she's talking to some pastor and being like, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says this, what's wrong. What was, what are you talking about? Right. And they're like, why is she so confident? I wouldn't expect her to be so spicy and confident and right. Right. Because you're into headship. We think, well, that's the whole point of headship is for her to be safe and confident and know who she is and be able to gratefully enjoy that being who she is and not have to, but she doesn't have to work to be loved and work to be to, 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 uh, I mean, it, in theory, that's, that's the whole idea is that she's safe, confident and, um, and 
knows how to be who she is well. And that's intimidating to most men. Most men that most men are terrified of a confident woman. Um, but a, a woman, a confident woman comes from, from being safe, well-loved and protected. Um, and then so, most men run the other direction from that. <laughs> so because they're weak. No, well, I just want to make sure I, I make the point. It's because they're weak, right? And well, <laughs> well, weak men create weak women, right? Like that's a problem. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, strong men make strong women because, but, but, so what am I? Am I mixing up nature and order? Because when I say like, you know, isn't it in her nature to submit to her husband? Um, well, the there's so nature there's a technical use of the word nature okay that um that has to do with metaphysics right so by nature she is as much the image of god right she is an equal so there's a um the ontological nature of a man and a woman is all equal right the economic assignment the economic uh placement of of men and women is it's not men and women. The economic placement of husbands and wives. Right, right, right. Offices, is, offices. Is, uh, the offices is where the the hierarchy exists. And this is where, so um, you know you start having problems in this when it when you start thinking that women are so are are supposed to submit to men. Right. But that's a but it's actually it, it's why a wife is supposed to submit to her husband. Yeah. Right. Um, it, it's not women. It's not a women and men thing. It's an office right. holding thing. So Interesting. Um, a wife is freed uh, in marriage by submitting to her husband. She actually is supposed to not submit to all the other men right. in there. Right. So she's freed from the tyranny of all men's other men mm. expectations right yeah so well and that um, does that follow then too with, until she's finds her husband then a young a girl and her father right that's who her yeah. submission so you don't the hierarchy is established all through the relationships of people um just in different points right so then right and you know as a when a um you know, as a, as a woman as a young woman comes of age and goes out into the world that her relationship with her dad shifts and changes. Um, you know, it's not the same between a, you know, a nine year old and her dad and a 29 year old and her dad, obviously um, because a woman can be the legal head of her household um, as a single woman. And the, that's all. Um, it, but the protection of, a dad who loves her and protects her and cares about her and knows her, you know, all of that is, um, it remains even, even if the legal, even if the legal, uh, relationship shifts and changes over time. So how, Oh, I don't know. Okay. Keep going. I want to keep going on the, on the, um, <laughs> so, so I, and I, so I think that's maybe a good way to think of it though, is that if, that 
the relationship between offices we hold is not a meta is does not affect our metaphysical our ontological relationships the relationships of our of our being and our nature um the it and that's the difference between hierarchy and tyranny right a, a tyrant um believes they can do whatever they want as long as they've got the power to do it and they're justified in a hierarchy a husband knows that Jesus is the husband of husbands and that his job is to imitate Christ is to image Christ into the relationship mm. as a husband. Um, a wife's job is also to image Christ into the relationship as a, a subject. You were talking about this husband. last time. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> the, um, because the, the, tr- you know, when we're told we that we're made in the image of God in Genesis one and two. It's in the context of Adam and Eve being a family, right? Adam is the image of God. Eve is the image of God. Adam and Eve together are also the image of God. So the other job of a family is to reflect the triune nature of God into the world. We don't even, most Christians don't even know what the triune nature of God would be mean right so you, they don't so if you said well what was god like before he created i i don't know we don't talk about that right <laughs> we we don't talk about the trinity um we don't talk about the triune nature of god we don't talk about the eternal community of self-giving love um, that has always existed we don't talk about the the eternal relationship of the father and the son and the spirit um the eternal procession the eternal um the eternal sonship of Christ, right? That Jesus, uh, that as the second person of the Trinity, he is equal, co-equal with the father and the spirit. They're all fully God. And yet he has submitted as the son from all eternity, right? That, that, uh, and the father has lived his life for the benefit of the son for all eternity, because he is the head of the, of the son right because he is the father of the son he has lived his life of the self-giving love from all eternity and that he created us to live in families because we are his image he loves being a father and so he made us to be able to be fathers to experience what he has loved doing from all eternity and uh that's why paul says that that if in ephesians that that every father takes his name from the father in heaven we are called fathers because God has always been a father and has always had a son and that our kids should be able to rejoice in being kids because Jesus has been the son of the father from all eternity. And that's a blessed relationship. The parent child relationship is a blessing. Right. Um, and the, so uh, we don't dig back into who we are and who, what we're for very often. And so we end up with weird civil theology, or, civic theology, or just straight power weird struggles, power struggles. We, we assume a Machiavellianism. God is, um, God is in charge because he's the biggest and the strongest. Right. And if we could overthrow him, then we could be in charge. And that's 
Zeus with the Titans. That's the uh, you know different. All, all forms of paganism are some sort of Machiavellian power struggle uh, in eternity that then just comes to reflect itself. And then people, you know, in in the Greek mindset, people were created because the gods got tired of growing their own food. Right, right. <laughs> so they're like, we need some slaves. So they created people. We're natural slaves um, because mm. we're inferior. And then the story is, as the story goes on, then we overthrow the gods too, usually <laughs> in the mythologies of the ancient world. And that's how we become the ones in charge. Right. So I think there's always, I mean, and I think that's, that's just Darwinian evolution all over, you know, that our Darwinian evolution is just a return to that. So, um, the, the, the desire to restore hierarchy and order, um, is a desire to reflect God. Well, Colossians, the end of Colossians one says the mystery, uh, uh, that was hidden has been revealed in Christ. And then in Colossians two, three, it says, so therefore we have come to reflect, uh, God and the father and the son, right? God, the spirit and the father and the son, the, the triune nature of our, uh, that we are intended to reflect that is a unity of love, a unity of order, a unity of hier- hierarchical self-giving fellowship. We are restored to that in Christ. When he, when Paul says, I pray that you would become fruitful again, like you were intended to be in the garden before you ate the fruit. And, right, and that's what he's talking about. And so when he gets to Colossians two, four, he can say, so I rejoice in your faith and in your order. Mm. Right your orderliness, the orderliness of your community. We think that sounds like a curse. Right. An orderly community. Why would we want that? Well, it's because we're not thinking in the terms of triune self-giving. If we only knew what order was fellowship of love. I think, I I think you're absolutely right. Right. I mean, how, how much, I mean, think of Mary Poppins, she's the hero because she brings disorder to a family that was well-ordered up until that point. Right. Like right. The, way, the way we tell stories um, is, is very often the one who brings disorder is the blessing, right? Because uh, it frees me from the hierarchy. Frees so, me from the hierarchy. Yeah. So, so you know, it, and she, but she's, I mean, she's a witch, so that's what witches do. Uh, oh, so then, oh man. All right. <laughs> I know you got to run, but so as you were talking, all I could think about was, okay, so you got hierarchy is made by covenant uh, or through vows, right? By vows, right? That's what you said, right? Not by created order, right? Yeah, right. Not by, well, it's it's not by, uh, not not by um, nature. What was it? Nature. Nature. Yeah. Okay. They're not not created by nature when we say nature we're talking about the ontological realities right the ontological realities yeah yeah there's we 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 enter into covenants right so Um, then the covenants are generational sure but we as as people we enter into them so if i've my ancestors entered into the american covenant and so i'm born into it right so then when you see something did you watch super bowl no it's weird. Uh, I know it is. Okay, it's totally so weird. right at the opening, right after. By the way, you need to go watch uh, the National Anthem Stapleton. Um, 
killed it. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, Chris killed it. Anyway, it was one of the best probably since Whitney Houston. Um, but anyway, uh, right after he got done and the home of the brave, there was a flyover from the pilots and all the pilots were women pilots that flew over and they were, and I was like, Oh wow. Look at that. That's so great. That's so awesome. And at the bottom of text, all women pilots fly over. And I was like, Oh man, what a way to destroy the whole, (laughs) like we were doing so good. The, the purpose being what, why would they want to say, what do they think they're trying to accomplish? I think they're trying to, well, my thought was that they want to say, look, equality for women, uh, that they can now be able to be um, fighter pilots, where before they weren't allowed to be fighter pilots. And so now we have equality for women, and the old barriers that used to hold women back are now gone even all the way up to fighter pilots. Fighter pilot, yeah. And so, and I see that and I'm like, you know, if it, if it was my daughter and I had an airplane, would I want her to be able to learn how to fly? Absolutely. Like, I, right. I would love, like, it'd be really cool my daughter to have a plane and a jet. She could fly yeah. a jet. That's, I don't it's, have, not, it's not the, the ability to fly a jet that's the issue. I don't think so. No, not at yeah. all. Um because uh, I want her to be able to le- know how to shoot a gun. She's a great shot. You know, I want her to be able to learn how to do all those things. Um, so that's not the issue. But it was a, it was an idea of an order of what we, how we value. This is what I was trying to get at earlier. Like how we value women in society matters. And so yeah, there is, right. like, while I'm not trying to, there is no, I don't know if there's a, uh, a vow that's there in some way outside of this is my daughter and this is who she is. But I don't want her in a fighter pilot jet to go right. fight for America. Well, but it's I think it's because the when Paul talks about how there's diff, different um, different creatures have different glories. Yeah, right, right, right. Feminine glory and masculine glory are different, different glories. Absolutely. Different glories. And so, uh, if you said, Hey man, this guy, he's a great soldier. He killed hundreds of the enemy. You say, man, praise be to God. That's glorious for a man to do. If you say to a woman, you say, man, this, this woman, she killed hundreds. We say, Hmm. That's not what I want for her. Right. That's not right. If you say, you know, this, this woman has, has raised up and, you know, and educated uh, all these children. It's amazing. You know, it's, that's wonderful. Then we say, how that's glorious. You know, that's beautiful. She has, her, her children have risen up and calling her blessed. And you say, oh, that's wonderful. That's, that's glorious. There's, um, there's all sorts of things that, um, that that we should be able to glorify, glorify in the things that only women can do. She she birthed babies, right? Right. A man a man can't do that, but we there's not respect for that like there used to be. I mean, now if a woman says, "When I grow up, I want to be a mom." 
say only a mom yeah. you know is the that's what society tells her well we need to fight back against that in a significant significant way so is but is the problem there hierarchy or glory well i think that the so when we say when we talk about equality in nature um the equality of nature that's not that there aren't distinctions but the distinctions are in what kind of vessel they are to carry for glory which which glory vessel they are a man and a woman have different are different glory vessels and i think that um is they're vessels for different kinds of glory that's a metaphysical Um, question that's the meta that's so the what are they and what are they for that's the question of metaphysics um that we don't go and answer and so we say well there we know that they are equal ontologically they're of equal worth but they're four different things, and we need to be able to glory in that in a way that we don't really glory in right now. That's how that's how we make hierarchy beautiful. Mm. So there is a different, you know. Well, we don't have time to talk about it. We'll have to talk yeah. about it. Though. But yeah, and then you got to run to another meeting. I just want to get into the idea of metaphysics and hierarchy and fellowship. Like, what is that? Because there's a I think sometimes when people will see what happened with the the whole flight thing and the the women and the airplanes, they'll have a different uh, breakdown of it that is probably not as accurate, but they're getting at something still. You know what I mean? Right. So anyway, I know you got to run to another meeting. All right. See you soon. We'll talk soon. Bye. All right. Bye.